tell us what's in the box. What's, what's in, in the, the box? box? What is in the box today? We've got demons and cults. And I I don't even know what. I mean, there's a whole bunch of badness out there today. Foster homes, CPS, witches. That's the scariest part, honestly. I'll get Dude. into that later. <laughs> okay. So today we are doing Dia Ball. Book one by Kathleen Kaufman came out in 2019 in October. And we have a special, special, special guest today, Joanna. I wonder who it is, Dan. <gasps> who is it? <gasps> I think it's Kathleen Kaufman. Oh my God. <laughs> Kathleen is here with us. So we can ask her all the down and dirty questions about these relationships she has put into this book. I love down and dirty questions. They're all right. Favorite. Down and dirty questions. We will do that. Okay. So <clears throat> basic synopsis is Kate, the main character. She's 10 years old at the beginning. And there is an event, a ritual that happens where her mother um, gets kind of hollowed out in a sense by these creatures. And she is taken away from her father her father is separated from her and her brother, and she is brought away from the uh, society that she has grown up in. And through all of this, she is kind of realizing her power. She expected to be the matriarch. I think I'm saying that correct. Am I saying that correct, Kathleen? Matriarch? Well, it's matriarch in Gaelic, but it's basically matriarch. It's the matriarch, exact same right. Thing. Yes. So of her society who practice spiritualism kind of old like real magic and she expects to take her great-grandmother's place as the matriarch of the society where she lives but after the event she's kind of taken away but she realizes that she has something greater in her and there are people that are out there trying to use her abilities and what she actually is um you know for their own purposes and everything so that's the basic premise of the story you know at the end she finds out because we we don't we do spoilers here just in case anybody was wondering so if you want to read the book go read it come back we'll still be here it's recorded so um she finds out she is a reincarnated goddess essentially and comes into her power ends up going back to her society and basically being a badass bitch like, and I'm not going to ask for permission from you anymore. I'm doing what I want. So everybody just shut up and leave me alone, which is awesome. So basic and, premise, basic idea mm -hmm. of what we're talking about. And she's, did you mention her age in the beginning? Yes, she's 10 in the beginning. Ten. And we age her from 10 to 13 mm -hmm. um, in the girl. book. Yeah. So, I mean, she's like... She's like the dark Harry Potter. Like, it's like, it's like if Harry, just like the mirror verse Harry Potter. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's get into some of these relationships. Um, what one do you want to, I have some written down here. What one do you want to talk first, Joanna? What, what, what do you want to, we can pick Kathleen's brain about. Oh, goodness. Interesting relationships. What, what? 
Yes. Um, well, I think one thing that is that kind of not only drives Kate's relationship with her mother, father, and brother, but the fact that this whole society is a matriarchal society, and that I feel like definitely plays into not just her relationship with her mother and grandmother, but re the relationship she has with her male relatives as well. So I'm thinking, let's just start with the Robertson family. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They're very important. So like, what did you have any particular thoughts when you were kind of building the relationships between them, Kathleen, like any specific mm -hmm you know, how you wanted her to relate to her mother, her father, her brother. Like, can you just talk about their relationships a little bit and your feeling on it? Well, I wanted this to be a matriarchal cult. And I think that that's not historically unprecedented, but it's definitely not as talked about as perhaps the cults that we hear about in the crazy news stories and, you know, the sensationalist stuff that are basically very male driven. And so I wanted it to be very female driven and I wanted it to be coming down through the matriarchal line. And I wanted the men in this story to be very secondary to the female line of power. And they don't go into this so much in this book, but this has a sequel that's coming out in October of this year called Cinder. But in that story, we trace Onsley, her great grandmother, back to Cork. Ireland and the start of the society and we learn why exactly it is a matriarchal society and why why it sprung into that but the basic idea is that as opposed to like our society where it's socially acceptable for women to take their husband's married name this is a society where everyone takes the female name down the line um, the female power is traced. All the women have only ever been in charge. The men are not a power of the power structure at all. They are considered to be in what would be the traditional female roles of just sort of keeping, you know, keeping the house held down while we're off doing all the work. And that was something I really wanted from the very beginning. And so her relationship with her father, with Kate's relationship with her father is interesting because it's, she he doesn't have in in the world at large especially in the 80s he probably has more sway than her mother does but within the society that he's been brought up he definitely doesn't hold any cards he has yeah. no power he doesn't have um any say in how she's raised and she's way past him mm -hmm. way way past him right i mean i almost felt like i don't know if jonna felt the same way but um like, like she had less respect for him because of that, because it wasn't equal, mm -hmm. you know, and, and which you can kind of see reflected in our patriarchal society, you know, it's kind of this flip of because she was brought up this way and who she is, she didn't have like as much respect for her father. You know, she talks about him being uh, weak a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and not being able to stand up to her grandmother and her great grandmother and, and everything like that. Did you get that, Joanna? How do you feel about that? Like, yeah, I mean, so I, I feel like in the beginning, there's a lot of, um, references to like, <laughs> they go to a normal school. This normally would have never been done, but you know, they allowed it for 
X, Y, Z reasons. Um, and you know, it's, it's probably the way, what, what I feel and Kathleen, you can obviously <laughs> chime in if I'm totally off, off base or not, but it felt like it was definitely more of her mother's doing. She felt, um, probably a bit less connected to the society. Um, and that probably has a lot to do with like, oh, the progeny line skipped a few generations. So she wasn't necessarily being looked at um, with as much scru scrutiny as mm -hmm. Kate was. Um, but to go back to her father, um, he definitely kind of felt like, you know, you have, you have no power here. And you know, largely due to the societal structure until the one night when, ev <laughs> when everything's going crazy. I don't like, I had never even heard of these crazy creatures before with names that I cannot pronounce. I didn't know if they were monster, like shadow man, <laughs> like whatever. I got creeped out because it wasn't anything I had ever seen, seen before. But that, but that was the night where, um, <clears throat> the dad finally, you know, try to take things into his own hands and he called the cops to like have him go save his wife and stop all like the crazy murder magic that was happening. But of course he just made shit worse. Right. Yeah. Try to. Um, so <clears throat> yeah. Am I on the right path with that Kathleen? Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think his attempts at intervention and I wanted it to be super messy. I wanted his attempts at intervention to make it much, much, much worse, much worse. And uh, yeah, absolutely. She doesn't have much respect for him. He doesn't have any say. She doesn't look to him for guidance. And I feel like, you know, you have Shona, who is her grandmother and the matriarch's direct daughter, and Grace, her daughter, Shona's daughter. But you have like the idea that the kind of the skills and the power and the intuition have skipped a bit. And they aren't seeing that until Kate comes along. And then all of a sudden, Kate is. A little bit extra mm. than anybody expected. So I think absolutely it is implied that it, it's it's unusual that Kate and her brother go to a normal school. Um, that normally they wouldn't. They're not. You know, they typically stay very cloistered and together. They dress weird. You know, uh, maybe not. You know, just just very old fashioned and kind of off. And mm. it's 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 an it's an awkward situation growing up for her, but then when her mother is possessed by these demons, these monsters, so the slua is actually an old Irish demon. It's basically uh, an Irish belief that the unsettled dead spirits, like spirits of those who died in trauma or died unexpectedly or died basically before their time, or those who weren't, in some beliefs, it's spirits who weren't blessed by, um, weren't given final rights by the Catholic Church, depending on when and where you talk, who you talk to, uh, banded together to create this sort of horde of this, of the restless dead. And what they do, and this is a real Irish folklore, they believe that they sort of lurk around in the darkness, looking for weak souls to overtake. Hmm. So if your spirit is weak, if you're a weak-minded person, they're going to overtake you and basically drag you into 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 the darkness with them. And the Rabarta 
Rabarta is just gay. I kind of invented them. Ah, uh, Rabarta is just Gaelic for the word madness. Mm-hmm. And I liked the idea of madness being like a physical entity. Mm. Like a thing that creeped around your windowsills and tapped at your door at night. That it's always out there ready to overtake you. And that you could summon it on someone else hmm. at any point. And that it, it's not powerful enough in its own right, but when it's kind of piggybacked with something else, then it can really get in and overtake a person. Mm. So it's just this kind of lurking bad. So yeah, she's overtaken by these things and the father's boy's attempt to call the, to take power and to call the, in like the traditional forms of help, make it just much worse. And he totally botches it. He completely fails at his attempt to bring medical attention to her Hmm. um, in that, in that capacity. I also felt like at the end when he was kind of by himself and was trying to like prepare everything for Alan, the younger brother. And, um, you know, and then he had Alan. It was very reminiscent to me a little bit since he had been in this society of kind of like a single mom, maybe all of a sudden being out you know, on their own and not exactly knowing how to deal with all this or like the trauma of what happened. And so, you know, I kind of felt like that that was kind of an interesting, um, you know, thing to occur in terms of how the relationships were and the result, you know, going to show you it's not necessarily the gender, it's the experience that you have that kind of necessitates some of these reactions to things. So, you know, and um, yeah, so, I mean, and I think her, you know, relationship to her mother was, you know, her mother was kind, so Kate appreciated her mother, but she also knew her mother, you know, was not powerful and was not going to be able to teach her anything. So she had a bit more respect for her mother as a woman and her mother and who had grown up in the society and everything, but, you know, not, not as someone she could learn from just as someone who offered kind of, you know, uh, affection and, and things like that, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, what did you think about the, the mother and her, because Kate really seemed mm-hmm. to be upset about that. You know, so she seemed really upset about what happened to her mother, constantly comes back to it, you know, so so at certain points you think, well, Kate might be, it's kind of, well, I'll get into that when we kind of talk about mm-hmm. her relationship to her magic and all that stuff. But in essence, I thought, you know, she had a good relationship to her mother, but it wasn't a, like, authority, you know, truly kind of parental thing. I felt like, but like, you know, you took care of me. I appreciate it. You gave me love. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. You know, just because of how Kate is kind of had all that inside her. So she didn't have the more as helpless as some of us are when we're babies or children or anything like that. So it was, you know, so I felt like that, that even was kind of changed in a kind of a very interesting, like she still had affection, but not in a traditional 
you know, you're my mom, you're going to teach me things and you're going to, you know, I'm going to grow up to be like you and all this other stuff that, you know, some of us might have with our moms, mm -hmm. but more of a, you know, Hey, you took care of me, made sure I didn't starve. You know, you, you, you know, you gave me affection and when I needed it. So, you know, thanks. Yeah. Well, I think absolutely. I think Kate, even at age 10, knows she's so far past her mother in terms of not just her magic and her skills, but her knowledge, like her general knowledge of the way things work. I think she feels more powerful. I think within the society as a cult, your standing within the society is everything. And she knows perfectly well that she's being groomed to be the next, next matriarch. She knows that. And so while I, I think it's very well put, I mean, she respects her mother. She loves her mother. Her mother is kind. She doesn't deserve what happens to her. But she doesn't look at her mother in the traditional way that we as a society look at mothers because she looks at her as someone who is a caretaker who has given her a stable home. But now that she is... When she dis when she is gone, it's the loss of stability that shakes her more than the loss of the uh, mentor. Right. I think she sees Ansley more as the mentor, mm -hmm. out, uh, apart from her mother, and she she works very hard to save her mother. Um, but at the same time, she is definitely in a position, even at age ten, where she realizes she's much more powerful than than her mother is and certainly her grandmother right yeah and she does have these thoughts of like you know oh you know when she goes visits her mom the last time of like oh i had some you know she had some thoughts that maybe there was still something in there you know even though she kind of knew so so it is that you know she she had feelings for her and that sadness and everything um, and I think some of it might have been even too is, is, as you said, not just because it was like her mother, but her stability. Yeah. And also the fact that it wasn't after her mother, right? Yeah. Like they no. weren't after her mother. So it's this kind of like misfired thing that happened. So she had some feelings about that as well. Like, you know, she shouldn't take punishment or be you know, relegated to this because somebody was after me and I am what I am. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's pretty clear early on that this wasn't aimed at her mother, but her mother happened to be the weakest soul in the room. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's who they latched onto that. They horribly underestimated 10 year old Kate. Right. They mm -hmm. thought that she would be, that she's going to be the easy pickings, but instead she's incredibly more capable than they, they give her credit for. Yeah. Um, what did you think about the mother relationship, Joanna? About the Yeah. Um, it felt I felt like it was like she like Kate did have that level of respect, not just for her mother, but for the rest of her elders too, um in the society. But she almost has she's she's far more mature for her ten ten 
year old self. And from the very beginning, she just comes across with this air of like, I know more than you. I know I can be a bit more powerful. So she's constantly questioning everybody's decisions. And even when, um, you know, everyone else in the room is still trying to save, save her mother. She's basically like, I can see these things and they can't, my mom is gone. We should be doing this instead. Like, why are we using these old remedies with boiled water and stirring it three times with a wooden spoon, you know? And then I think it, it, it felt like all of the elders did not want to admit to themselves that this child knew what she was talking about, that she was right about something that she had never I assume had never really seen before. So eventually when she, you know, push, push came to shove, they finally like listened to her, but it was too late. And then dear old dad decides, yeah, let's send in the cops for, for some magic shit. Like, yeah. Cause that's, that's, right. that's a great idea. <laughs> so she feels Kate feels a very removed and distant and at odds to a, big a big degree but then when she's in the um child protective services facility sort of like um like group group home uh, she keeps asking about you know why can't i see my father why can't i see my brother and she always gets you know some kind of bull bullshit answer about like well you know we're under right. investigation and everything but it felt more like She's asking those questions not because she um, cared necessarily. I think on some level she did care, but also she knew she knew what she was doing. She knew the right things or maybe even the wrong things to say, but she she was trying to play a game with with the therapist. So mm-hmm. my my cat is just rubbing up against my <laughs> laptop, and that's why it's shaking. Cat, we, we have animals, people, I animals know. interrupting <laughs> our podcast. You guys and, just got to see my dog's eyebrows popping yes. up. So. <laughs> and then we have kitties mewing. Mm-hmm. Um, so enjoy that, people, as well as the scintillating commentary. Um, but those two things are really good ways to kind of talk about the great grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Ainsley, the, act, the the current matriarch at the beginning of the of the thing, and I find it really interesting that, as Joanna said, she had, um, you know, like she couldn't deny that Kate was going to succeed her at some point. You know, succeed her at some point, but. Um, you know, she kind of didn't like it or at least not, you know, because it was happening too quick for her taste. You know, there was like an order to these things. I felt like, I mean, do you want to talk a little about how, how you kind of dealt with Ainsley, the actual, the, the current matriarch? So it's interesting because I'm not going to give anything away for book two, but book two gets into directly why Ainsley has these conflicted feelings about the society continuing and about Kate stepping into the role that she's about to step into. So yeah, she, yeah. And I like that in Davla, you get the idea that she's definitely not that pleased about it. 
you know, she's the current matriarch. She has been in power. She has led these people over from Cork. She has been leading them. She's the one that got them settled in this little alcove in Venice Beach, which if this could exist anywhere in the world, I believe that it has to be in Venice Beach uh, with all the weirdness that exists there. And <laughs> I've been to Venice Beach. Anywhere now, so that's right. Yeah. And uh, apologies if any listener lives in Venice Beach, but oh yes, yeah, you know. I live on the beach, literally. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, so but I but I do think that Osley has extremely conflicted feelings about it, and and I like it. It is left ambiguous in book one as to why you know is it like she doesn't want to give up the power? Does she not think? Does she think Kate's too young? Does she think it should go to somebody else? But uh, a lot of those kind of queries get responded to a bit more in book two. Well, I guess we have to read the next book. I guess you do. Oh, duh. Comes out. Damn, yeah, I mean, that it. was really my big question. Like, did she yeah. just feel like Kate was coming into it too soon? And that's why she was kind of annoyed? Or was it that, you know, she wasn't, she, you know, now that she was faced with her successor, you know, she wasn't happy about it. Like, like it really is like, you really don't, you really, you're, I mean, you really don't get an answer to that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know well I, I think that Kate is interesting because she's not always very likable and it's funny because I had several <laughs> drafts of this book and I actually had to make her more likable you know because the first drafts I was like yeah she's kind of a little can you cuss in this yeah oh yeah. oh yeah oh she's kind of a little bitch then I mean I um I, we're an adult podcast to, like uh but no, you know, she is. She's a pain in the ass. She's a pain in the ass preteen is what she is. And she might be the next reincarnation of the goddess of the dead. She might be the matriarch of the next, uh, of the society of this great cult. But she's also a preteen girl. And she mm-hmm. is going through all of the things a preteen girl would go through in addition to being all of these things. And she isn't always very likable. And I actually had to go back in in several drafts of this book and... <laughs> You have a preteen, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> just I'll just in leave quarantine. that. I'll just leave that there. I'll just in quarantine in a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I'll just we'll just leave that there. I mean, you know, we all <laughs> from life experiences. You know, just you know, our fiction and our writing is totally separated all the time as absolutely absolutely i mean i was totally an angel when i was a preteen so i don't understand any (laughs) i was just a delight to be around absolutely absolutely i'm sure joanna was too yeah i know okay i was totally a delight to be around (laughs) but my mother would say differently that's (laughs) because i was just the creepy little goth kid kid of the family and i was so misunderstood so (laughs) no i um you know i mean a lot of this is based okay so yeah i mean uh, in terms of preteen girls it's like i i don't know i part of it's because i teach teenagers too you know Mm. so i don't teach preteens necessarily but i get to see them pretty quickly after they're preteens and there is a level of precociousness that comes along with that age that it's an interesting, I guess what was interesting to me about writing a character this young, like that was in that zone was what if that precociousness was actually pretty earned, right? Yeah. Cause generally we're precocious and little shits 
during this time range, mm-hmm. 10 to 13, and it's totally not earned. You know, we are not the shizbit. You know, we don't know. <laughs> we do not know shit. But what if you did? Yeah. What if you actually were infinitely more powerful and wise than everyone around you? And because it is the time in your life, and I think part of the reason why tweens are that obnoxious is because nobody listens to them. Everybody discounts everything they say. Yeah. I mean, particularly with girls. This is the time mm-hmm. in your life when you are the most discounted in your entire life. You're not yet a woman with womanly features and respected and attractive like a woman, but you're no longer a kid, so you can't act childish and demand attention in the way you did as a kid. And you're not seen for having enough wisdom to make decisions, but you're not you're not supposed to act like a child. I mean, I think this like weird age for girls especially is just completely frustrating and completely crippling. And I think it comes out in a lot of kids. It can come out like, Mike, I was not that precocious. I was more like awkward, like, (laughs) (laughs) should see the face, people. You should see the face. Oh, if you you thought the noise was great. Yeah. Oh, just make that noise yourself and look in the mirror and you will have seen me basically between the ages of about 10 to about 14. Um, (laughs) I had braces. So, you know, I was braces and glasses and... The whole, the whole deal. So. Oh, I had so many braces and so many glasses, and my nose grew before anything else on my body. So I was like this, like <laughs> oh, no. little scrawny four ten kid, like seventy pounds dripping wet, <laughs> with like a nose that would like stretch to Cleveland. It was. I would enter the room before you did. <laughs> I was just, just gorgeous, just amazing. But it's kind of um, interesting as we're talking about this and. It's like, but it really does have to do with the story because mm-hmm. when you're that age, you're trying to come into kind of who you were going to be yeah. when you're older as a teenager, you know, you're not a kid. So people expect you, expect you to come be developing a personality and developing the things you're interested in. And that's kind of what Kate has to do, except like on a bigger scale with a lot bigger stakes going on, you know? So it kind of echoes a bit, you know, that, She's at the same time, you know, trying to figure all this stuff out and figure herself out, you know, and go inside, you know. Well, yeah, because what if you actually were the shizbit when you were 10 years old, 10 to 13 years old, and you knew that and you were infinitely more powerful than everyone around you, but nobody would listen to you? Mm -hmm. I'd make them listen. Yeah. Well, she does eventually, right? Yeah. It does. Yeah. (laughs) But. I, I the frustration level is what I was interested in writing that that kind of conflict between how I have to act in order to get along in this system and what I would how how strong the urge to burn this shit down is right it, and I can do it too by the way you know yeah. <laughs> yeah which brings me to her relationship with like the many psychiatrists and therapists and counselors she has who is are the people she has to performative you know perform all this for until she decides she doesn't and does something to to you know send them all away you know so it's it's like you know again that instance of you know i know what's going on and you don't you're looking at you know you're wanting me to talk about these things when they aren't important anymore i mean 
All right, and you know, look at these pictures and look at, you know, this crap you find on the sidewalk with one of them, you know, like, and so it's kind of interesting how that kind of reflects in her relationship with those therapists and psychiatrists too, in that not only is it in her society that she knows a heck of a lot, but because of that, when she comes out, you know, she knows what's going on and she knows what they think and she knows what they're going to be doing and you know what they're writing down and the whole thing and just the you know i mean it honestly made me think about like you know like you said you know the kids aren't listened to you know what i mean mm-hmm. i work with casa which is a court appointed special advocate so when kids come into cps yeah. they will get you know a court appointed special advocate who focuses on the kids needs and what they want and that is specifically our job to listen to the kid and what they want because it gets overlooked when you have the caseworker and the lawyers and, you know, all the other people involved, the therapist, the, you know, the family, everybody else, it, it gets overlooked. And that was, you know, very demonstrated here and her relationship with it, which really kind of reflected how that can happen, how, how, you know, the kids don't get listened to. You know, or if they do say something true, then then the the therapist would rather gloss it over than kind of think about it, you know, and actually listen and admit the child was right. You know, they have oh, a set, they have a set expectation, and when the kid doesn't meet that expectation, you know, then 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 the relationship, you know, they don't know what to do because they don't know how to navigate that relationship anymore. Yep, therapist and child. Yeah. And to go off, off of that too, I mean, just kind of adults and children in, in general. And I know I pretty damn sure that my mom felt this way with me when I was growing up and going through my angsty teen, teen phase, but also like being a teacher as well, there's sort of this unwritten rule like oh you're the adult you're supposed to know more but sometimes well adults don't know everything all the time right and for a lot of adults the hardest thing to do is admit they don't know everything especially to teenagers or children anybody who's younger than them anybody who they perceive that is not as experienced and I feel that is exactly what is happening with her first psychiatrist in the uh, group home. He has encountered this little girl who is wise beyond her years and honestly doesn't need any kind of psych- psychiatric help, right? Because she just is way too smart. She just knows the way that the world works outside of her society and within her society. So there literally isn't anything for the therapist to do for her except be like, oh, well, you, you know, no, you're right, but I'm not going to admit that you're right because, you know, my job and blah, 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 blah. You know, so it's a very interesting, like, power dynamic. And, and I, it, 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 it extends to not just every adult in in her circle. I, sorry, my cat is rubbing up against oh, my ears and tail. Everything. Um, You're getting all the pet treats today, people. I know all she the is. pet treats. Yeah, all um, the pet cameos. 
Oh, Pat cameos. Yes. Okay. Katniss, you're, you're, you're shake, you're shaking lap up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she, Kat, I was, I was going to say Katniss. No, Kate. <laughs> Kate. <laughs> name. That um, name's taken. Wrong book, know, right? Wrong book. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, Kate has a, she has power over everybody regardless of their age and depending on their age that kind of dictates how they react to her um unless you're the creepy jehovah's witness who's been possessed (laughs) by huzzah yes (laughs) and is coming to see kate in the group home going like hey we could use somebody like you we recognize like talent and power when we see it and kate that would that that's yeah. the first time in the book that anybody actually comes to her and says, we value you in one way or another. So instantly for me, that set up this whole like streamlined story of like, oh, Kate's on a big like coming of age story here and yeah. it's going to get crazy. <laughs> and that's the weird part because, yeah, they, they played it off the, 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 the MAGA and all those people who are trying to get her like yeah they played it off as oh we truly value you we want you to reach your potential and all this other stuff but they really didn't right i mean they didn't like they thought Mm -hmm. oh she's only 10 they're gonna you know they're gonna you know we're gonna control her and we're gonna have her do what we wanted to do so they were really just playing lip service to listening to her or respecting her or any of that or or regarding anything that she wanted um so yeah tell us how you kind of taught uh kathleen about about that group um you know and kind of what your kind of goal was with them and how they interacted with kate so the inspiration came from uh the fact that when i was i don't know in college and i was like 18 or 19 i went with a friend of mine to salt lake city uh he was from there and he was showing me all like these counter counterculture things in Salt Lake City, and evidently Salt Lake City at the time, anyway, in the nineties, had the largest uh, uh, satanic church group, right? <laughs> Not yes. to be confused with like the political <laughs> temple of Satan people. I don't right. know what I'm saying. Oh it no, you know, because there's two different groups, right? There's the political ones, and then there's the actual Satan worshippers, right? Right. So, yeah. but, but, but Salt Lake City at the time in the 90s had the largest in the US group of actual Satan worshipers, which makes sense if you think about it, because you have like all the extremes in Salt Lake, right? You have the mm-hmm. extreme of the Mormon church and you have the extreme of this. So he showed me like creeping up on this hill, like, like uh, trespassing into somebody's backyard into like the backyard courtyard of like a temple, like a Satan worshiper temple. And I mean, it was like the coolest thing ever. It was mm. it was like the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and so it's always stuck with me because I was always like, ah, I gotta write a story about that someday. Um, so yeah, so I totally used this counterculture group as an inspiration. And I think their base intent is they're thinking that they can get this kid who is super freaky, mega powerful, and they can basically use her. Right, she's going to be malleable. She's going to be in, easily influenced, and she's going to be easily used by our group to do what we want. We are not as powerful as we would want to be. We can do a lot of things, 
right? We have a certain amount of magic at our disposal. They can take over these extremely uh, easily influenced missionaries that are walking around and make them do our bidding, at least for a short amount of time. We can uh, cause certain things to happen, but we have limits to our power. But with this girl, we could probably do anything, right? Mm -hmm. And if we get her now, she's young, she needs a group, she's lost, she's wandering. But they don't realize that it's like having a lion in your house. Right. You know? <laughs> I mean, you can, you know, it's, it, <laughs> it might look cute and adorable and then it might maul your arm off the next minute, a la Tiger King. <laughs> I, just I was just thinking about that too. Just Quar quarantine shout out. Quarantine shout out to Tiger oh, King. Oh dear. <laughs> I mean, no, seriously, I'm like behind the bus on that one, but good <laughs> lord. Yeah, right. Um, but it is like having a like a lion in your house. You know, they don't realize how powerful she is and they don't realize exactly the magnitude of how capable she is and how not how much she doesn't need them. And right. they don't realize that. She does need them to an extent. And I think Anne Beth and her companionship with her at the McLaren home and throughout her, her stay in social services is, is extremely important mm -hmm. because she has something of an ally. She has a person who kind of realizes what she is. Um, but the more Kate realizes what this group is all about, and the more Annabeth starts to kind of learn that and split from the group, the more you realize that this isn't this. I mean, if they got their wish and they did get Kate back to them, I think the same thing would have happened eventually. They mm. would have, I mean, maybe worse. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, let's go. Yeah. Let's talk about Annabeth and her relationship with uh, Kate. So, and how it changes. I mean, I think that relationship out of all of them is kind of the one that perhaps changes the most over time to everybody else that she meets. You know, her father is her father until he goes bonkers. You know, her mom, her brother, whoever, the psychiatrist, she just kind of pawns off, you know, and the people in the Salt Lake City cult, Satanists are just like whatever, you know. And even when she goes, uh, to the reservation, like her relationship with those people don't change too, too much. You know, she kind of is kind of, it's a quiet space for her, but with Ambeth, their relationship really does like change over time. I felt like, what did you think, Joanna? Like, how do you think that their, what, what was your impression of how their relationship changed over time? We'll let Kathleen go last. We'll discuss it. We'll, <laughs> we'll let Kathleen That's good. go last. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, I would have to agree with that. Um, and I mean, it felt like Ann Beth really became that one kind of real sort of relationship that Kate had throughout the entire thing because she had the most influence on Kate and vice vice versa. Um, whereas everyone else kind of throughout the story like was not very emotionally healthy or there under false pre pretenses or didn't take her seriously as, as a person. But Ann Beth is kind of like the one really sort of like healthiest example that that she has so mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah. I mean, I feel like for me, it was like, you know, she starts out as like, she has this mission. I got to bring Kate to the group. And we find out later in the book that like, okay, this has been a thing, not just since she was there, but like, she's been prepping for this since like, you know, forever. Right. This is what she'd been groomed to do. And so her first, you know, she describes meeting Ambeth for the first time as like, meeting a long lost friend or something. I forget the specific wording, but like, you know, some, or, you know, or like a famous person or someone, you know, something like that, that, you know, she'd had this relationship that the other party didn't know about. And so, so, and she had this job and that's what she was focused on. And that was Hambath's whole attitude. You know, we're going to do this. I'm going to communicate with her. You know, I'm going to make sure she's under my care. And then when the time is right, we're going to take her back to Salt Lake City. And that's going to be it. And, but then as she meets Ann Beth and as she meets Kate, Ann Beth meets Kate and they talk. And Kate is Kate, you know, doing what Kate does. You know, Ann Beth starts to realize that this is not... It wasn't what she was envisioning in her head. And Kate is not what she was envisioning in her head. And then she realizes that she kind of needs to take a different tack. That, you know, hey, you know, this might not be the right thing to do. And then becomes, you know, Ambeth's true protect, uh, Kate's true protector in a way. Um, by doing things to kind of help her out and you know, you kind of see that change over time from her, you know, having that job. And, and Ambeth is sort of like, uh, I keep missing up Ambeth, what I mean, Kate, but she, Ambeth sees Kate as kind of like an object, a trophy, a, a thing, you know, like a MacGuffin because, and I think some of that is because she had, she had been watching her for so long and not interacted with her. You know what I mean? It's like if you see something in a glass case and then you finally get to hold it, you know, you're going to treat it differently than if you interact with it and you treat it like it's a real object to use every day, you know, or, or a thing. It kind of separated her from it. And then when she actually got to interact with Kate, then it, then she actually became real, more real, not just this mythical thing. And, and that kind of changed her you know, for the better, I think, and changing, you know, her life and, and going on and, and I'm really blanking, but I'm trying to remember the last time we see Ann Beth, I think was talking with, with, um, the CPS person, Karen, is that the last time we see her? Well, you see her at the very end because she, um, not to give spoilers, but we see Ann Beth's um, rather untimely demise at the very end of the book. Right. Oh, yeah, because she was in the... Okay. Yeah. I mean, there was a whole lot going on at that scene, so I probably was, like, focused on something else. So. Oh, no. Endings so, are not my specialty. Excuse me Lots for of that, things happened. I was like, yeah, lots of things happened. That was it. So I don't think it was you. I think it was just there's a lot going on. There was mm -hmm. a cave and there were people and and Kate was doing stuff and stuff, stuff, big mm -hmm. stuff and, and all that. But why don't you talk about now, um, you know, 
the idea for Anne Beth and kind of maybe like what you felt like her role was in Kate's life, you know, like kind of like what you, you know, what you think, what you felt. Well, I like the idea of Anne Beth as having a really changing role with her because she has been groomed to basically and been given this big responsibility within her own cult, you know, She's been given this major responsibility of being the point person to go out and gain Kate's trust, get her to believe this, and basically help navigate her way into their world. And she's been given this major point of responsibility. And it's implied later on when she does meet with other people from her group, you know, there towards the end of the book, that she maybe grew up within this society, within her own society, within the cult that she grew up in as not feeling like she had a lot of respect or maybe not as much standing as the others. And she had been sent away early because she got sent out into the world with this purpose of, okay, you're going to have to be the one who brings this girl back to us. And she does change as she meets Kate because Kate's been an idea all this time. And then she meets her and she's a person and she changes and she has dynamics and she starts to kind of like her. Mm-hmm. You know, she starts to feel sympathy for her. And she also starts to see that Kate is way more than what they think she is. Way more. Mm. That they have no idea what this girl is not just capable of, but who she is. And that this is not going to go the way they think it's going to go. And so by the time their plan starts to come to fruition, when they start to think like, okay, well, we can start moving her out of the home. We can start getting her, you know, bringing her to Salt Lake. It's Anne Beth who has these major reservations about this isn't going to go the way you think it's going to go. You know, she's not who you think she is. She's way more powerful. She's way more stubborn. And she's a person, you know, all of a sudden it's a lot easier to, I mean, it's a lot easier to think of going in and gaining someone's trust and getting them locked up in this cult when they're not a person. And all of a sudden she sees this kid as a person, as a human, Mm -hmm. and she likes her Mm -hmm. a bit, you know, and Kate kind of likes her back, you know, as much as she does anybody. Right. (laughs) She doesn't trust her entirely, but they have a rapport and they've grown to kind of depend upon each other. And so it is a really complicated dynamic that the two of them have, you know, and I think it's, it's an interesting one because Ann Beth is not an entirely sympathetic character. Like she definitely, uh, there's times when she's being absolutely horrible, but by the end she definitely tries to redeem herself through helping Kate escape, helping her get away, realizing that what she has done and 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 it's like Anne Beth's whole thing too. Like she's been raised from the point of you know very influential age to think this is her life's purpose was to bring this kid back to the cult. Right for ten years they've been and and maybe before that you know it's been prophesied that this person would come into our cult, and she's been raised her to do this. So mm-hmm. to turn on that and to reject that is like a major thing. I like Anne Beth as a character. I don't think I would like her very much if I met her in real life. (laughs) (laughs) That as a character, I liked her because she had really tough um, decisions, but I feel like by the end of the story, she kind of redeems herself in terms of Mm -hmm. what she set out to do originally. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's really, 
Yeah, I mean, like I said, I felt like, you know, Ambeth had, you know, the most intimate relationship, really, with Ambeth, you know, in terms of being on equal footing, and so to mm-hmm. speak, because, you know, Ambeth kind of gave her that respect, and, and you know, Kate needed an ally and everything, so I, I really did feel like that that was, like, a really good, very kind of nuanced thing. It wasn't, like, sister, little sister. It wasn't, like, mother-daughter. It wasn't, you know, it's kind of hard to kind of quantify, you know, what that what that relationship was. But, you know, it was very, very interesting to see them change each other because I think Aunt Beth kind of changed Kate a little bit, too, in a way. Yeah. So... Well, everybody um, needs somebody who is not afraid to tell them exactly what it is, you know, even if they're not very nice about it. <laughs> and Anne Beth is the only person in Kate's life mm-hmm. at all who is able to criticize her, who is able to tell her any kind of criticism, yeah. anything. And she's the only one that Kate really listens to. Everybody else she blows off. But what Anne Beth tells to her definitely gets under her skin mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So one little piece I want to talk about, and there's two bigger things that we kind of have uh, that I wanted to talk about. One a little smaller, the other kind of a bigger section um, was uh, the V.C. Andrews and soap opera relationship that uh, Kate has. Like, it's really kind of this relationship that kind of reflects like what's going on with her? Like, why is she fascinated with these things, these soap opera dramas and the books and everything like that. And as a child of the eighties who grew up with these, I knew exactly what these were. Yep. And I thought like it was very interesting. And the only kind of time it, I, I found it interesting for two ways, um, which is one was that they're kind of not meant to be taken seriously but Kate took them seriously, you know, they're meant to be campy. They're soap opera. They're VC Andrews books, which are in in case anyone out there who hasn't read VC Andrews. I mean, maybe they're out there somewhere, but, um, missing out, missing out. Um, (laughs) yeah, VC Andrews. I mean, how would you all describe VC Andrews? Oh, just the absolute classic Gothic horror like camp fest like yeah <laughs> no yeah. i i freaking love vc andrews but here's the thing though by vc andrews reading it as a preteen and i read i like devoured these books like as like and danny you were saying before this all started that you read these books way too young as <laughs> did i like i was this kid and I, was, I just devoured every single vc andrews book every single one just ongoing and then i would reread them and reread them and reread them and reread them to me, it wasn't fiction, and I took them way too seriously, way too seriously, you know, and I think kids do. I mean, I think you do when you're that age and you have something that you get that, um, and I absolutely felt the same way about Days of Our Lives. Right. So that was the first reason that, that, that yeah. this interested me, her relationship to these things, that she saw these stories and took them seriously. But the second one was... It was the thing that was actually kind of mundane, the only things that Kate actually kind of showed interest in. 
Yep. That's it. Soap operas and V.C. Andrews books. She didn't really pay attention to school. You know, she didn't really care about that. She didn't really care about, you know, boyfriends or girlfriends or friends or, or any of the stuff, her clothes, her makeup, you know, anything else that we might consider kind of mundane concerns for a preteen, right? Mm-hmm. But this is kind of the one, you know, because she had all these bigger things going on, mm-hmm. right? You know, but it's kind mm-hmm. of she has this one little piece where you actually see she has an interest in something other than that. And it's these campy <laughs> soap operas and B.C. Andrews books. <laughs> I was I was going to say exactly the same thing because girls already got enough drama in her life, you know, so and it's not your usual like fifth grade or preteen or just on the verge of being like a true teenager. Yes, I'm thir- I'm 13. You know, like problems. The age she's a supernatural like being basically. Um so I could I I could imagine why she would be drawn to the mundane just because it's so much more relaxing compared to her life. Yeah. <laughs> isn't it though? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and isn't this why any of us were drawn to VC Andrews and Days of Our Lives or The Bold and Beautiful or General Hospital or any of the others, right? Um, I mean, we all had our own little mini tragedies going on throughout our teen years, right? <laughs> and the reason why, like, Mine were nothing like this, but, you know, I think the reason why I got so completely obsessed with B.C. Andrews and why now I'm, I'm binge streaming every single thing that shows up on Netflix. <laughs> I actually cried the other night when I finished Unorthodox because I, um, it was like, I didn't realize it was only four episodes and I thought I had so much more time with them. Oh, no. That's a make more Orthodox. Netflix, okay. make more Orthodox. I'm okay now. But um, <laughs> but it's it, it's this escapism, and it's like this idea that I don't have to be me for a while. You know, I can I can totally engulf myself in this complete fantasy world, and the weirder the fantasy world is, the better. The more the more <laughs> completely removed it is from my life right now, great. You know, the more I can pretend like I am a girl, I'm heaven trapped on a mountain. You know. Yeah, in the Ozarks, then yeah. I don't have to worry about anything else. You know? Right, and, uh, and like the problems that VC Andrews does, or the problems, or what feel like how big your problems are when you're that age. Yeah. Oh, they. You oh, know, absolutely. now that now that I'm forty, it's like, girl, okay, whatever. You know, but at that age, you'd be like, yes, that's how bad it is. That's how, that's how <laughs> sad I feel. That's how angsty I feel. Yes, cue the cure. Cue it up. Oh, I hit a button, but I'm going to stop hitting it. But okay. Um, No, you know what's funny is though I reread Heaven for um, purposes of this book, actually. And I reread it and I actually had to order a new copy because my mom summarily got rid of all of my V.C. Andrews books as soon as I left the house. (gasps) No. I know. It was so bad. (laughs) I don't know why I got all dark all of a sudden. It's because I hit a button. But <laughs> I like um, the collective gasp in between us. That was no, <laughs> it was. It completely went away. But uh, they all went. They all just disappeared. I came back from college like one year, and I was like, I am gonna hunker down during this spring break and reread all my V notes. Come on. Um, 
No, but uh, I reread it. I actually had to reorder a copy of Heaven, and I reread it, and I was like, oh, my God, this is really bad. And <laughs> is it really? It, oh, my God. No, it's so bad. And then, then I have to sh- give a shout-out to the Lifetime Movie Network because they did a re... Like, they did movies of all of the Heaven series and all of the Flowers in the Attic series and My Sweet Audrina, which... Oh my God, this is so great. Uh, but they didn't, I mean, they're actually pretty good if in like a camptastic sort of amazing way. Right. Like Jason Priestley should get a freaking Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> like the creepy grandfather. Like he leans in to this yeah. role. Sometimes it's all you got to do. Just so lean he in. just leans into it. And I, I was like, I have so much admiration for that guy now because it's truly terrible stuff. And he's like, no, I'm owning this. I'm going <laughs> to, but show up is... to work that day. <laughs> oh no. He showed up in style. Like dress for the part you want, not, not what you got, you know? Yeah. And no, he... but seriously, like I, in rewatching all of those films, which I rewatched them all over the holiday breaks and it was absolutely amazing. So but it is really terrible stuff and the problems are so campy and when you watch it objectively as an adult and especially as an author or as a story creator you're like (laughs) there are so many plot holes here oh yes (laughs) why didn't they just go to the titanic didn't sink it fell through a plot hole in your book vc (laughs) but you just let him onto the damn headboard you know (laughs) mythbusters proved it they both could have been on it oh no for reals like just get on the headboard you know um so but that's how it is reading rereading heaven you have this like just get on the headboard you know like, like, give the ring to the eagles kind of moment the entire way. <laughs> We're just dissing everybody. We're just dissing everybody's plot holes. Seriously. No, but you have this moment all the way through heaven where it's like, this is not this big of a problem, people. Yeah. Well, you know? let's go ahead and um, kind of just sum up. Like, what do you feel like um, we'll go with Joanna and... Uh, then I'll go and we'll have kind of Kathleen sum up last is how do you feel like the relationships in this book kind of affected the outcomes, I guess. You know, what does mm-hmm. it say about relationships in terms of the ending in this book? I mean, I kind of feel like the most important relationship that not only can you have, but you absolutely need to navigate through life regardless of your age is the relationship with yourself. Mm. And I felt like that is the, the underlying thing that carried Kate throughout the entire book. Yes, of course she grows, she changes, she matures, she is wiser at the end than how she was at the beginning. And of course gains an, an ally. Mm-hmm. But it was her kind of unwavering faith in herself as stubborn and as annoying as she could be. Um, if she didn't have that, and um, Danny, like you said in 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 our notes, um, you know, Kate thinks about like, would she be as strong as she is if she, you know, hadn't left? 
And the answer is like to continue to grow as, as a person, like, no, no, she wouldn't. If she hadn't like taken those big risks. Um, so yeah, the most important, I mean, when everything else fails her throughout the book, aside from, um, and, and Beth, she comes back to herself and she relies on herself. So that's yeah, I, what, I, I, that's, what I took away from it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really true that it's a really big commentary in the book of, you know, you have to, you have to kind of know yourself and that sometimes to know yourself, you kind of have to go away from what you know to begin with. And the second thing I really came away from is that sometimes you don't always have to have and take it as like role models or things you want to be, but pretty much everyone around her was people she knew she didn't want to be that sometimes you can define yourself by what's around you and saying, I don't want to be that, you know, if you're in an abusive relationship or you had an abusive childhood or, or anything like that, um, anything like that. And, um, you know, that, that you can kind of define it by, you know, saying, I don't want to be any of those things. I'm going to be something different. What do you think, Kathleen? I, I think you guys make me sound so much smarter than maybe I probably <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I love what you're saying. And I love the idea that Kate really only becomes uh, to fruition through the fact that she does believe in herself and that she knows what she doesn't want to be and she knows when she shouldn't listen. You know, and I feel like it's when she's taken out of her element and made to feel the most uncomfortable that she actually really starts to thrive. Um, the scenes where she is on the Navajo reservation when she is entirely out of her element, she's completely overwhelmed perhaps, you know, emotionally and situationally that she actually begins to grow, you know, and she actually develops herself as a person. And I think that one of the things I wanted to do with this book was really play with the idea that, people are much scarier than superstition and we get so worked up about superstition whether it's in the form of religion or uh, you know scary stories or belief systems or anything and there's nothing out there in the paranormal universe that's scarier than what people are capable of doing to each other and I think Kate realizes that too, that, that what she's capable, you know, what all these things that she's capable of, she might be the reincarnated uh, goddess of the dead. She might be, you know, have demons and all these things at her command, but it's people who have caused the most grievous harm to her. And that's the thing she deals with throughout the next book as well, that it's human drama that brings her back, you know, that causes the most trouble. And she ultimately becomes a stronger person because she is able to realize that and rise above it and try to correct it, you know, try to get her brother back to a stable place, try to create stability for them at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, even if it's maybe not in her best interest, there's all these different places she could go as an individual. But by the end of the book, she brings it back around to where she's like, okay, this is what's good for my brother. Mm -hmm. This is, this is a stable place for him. 
at least for a while. And that's what I can do. So yeah, I, I absolutely, I think this is one of the, um, this was a really fun book to write not just because I got to reread heaven and look up all these back issues of days of our lives. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which was a blast by the way. And (laughs) Hey Al, can you tell us what happened last week on days of our lives? (laughs) All I can think of is, huh? Hello, I'm Dr. Drake Ramore. (laughs) (laughs) Stefano, is that you? Oh, yeah. Okay, you should listen to my husband, like, talk about Stefano Damera because he has, like, these whole, like, theories and stuff about Stefano as a villain and everything like that because his grandmother used to watch Days of My Life. It's, it's, but anyway, that was, thank you so much for getting off because we were just having fun talking to our friend. But we did try to talk about the relationships despite animals and alarms going off and yes. everything else that happened. But thank you, Kathleen, so there much. There are animals. Yes, there are oh, animals, puppers. dogs, and cats, <laughs> and all sorts of things. And mm-hmm. But I want to thank you, Kathleen, for coming and yes. talking with us about your book. Us, yes, thank you. Us. And everybody, be on the lookout. We will definitely be on the lookout for the second one. Uh, yes coming out pandemic uh you know barring it should be out sometime october right awesome and it's called cinder cinder yes but it's not spelled like the normal cinder it's s-i-n-d-e-r yes and it originally had a crazy gaelic name and weirdly my publisher thought that maybe was not going to be the best move I know. Right? I, wa- like, I, wa- I wonder why. I know, right? Like, so skeptical. Right. Everybody <laughs> loves Gaelic, right? So, um, no, so this is, no, I'm, I'm very happy with the title and the cover and the book. And so it is on its way. Awesome. Jonna, why don't you uh, bring us on out? What are we doing next time? Oh, next time. I am personally really excited for this one. Um, We will be doing another video game. Um, Looking at uh, the most recent release from an indie studio called Night School Studios. Uh, This game came out in 2019, so not that long ago. Uh, but it is called After Party. Best friends, Milo and Lola, you die under mysterious circumstances. You go to hell in order to get out of hell and be reincarnated back on Earth. You how to outdrink Satan. So it totally is a, not a problem. Totally, totally not, not a problem, a right? It is a hilarious choice-based game that's all about relationships. So we are super stoked to... Uh, discuss this one in two weeks um so if you want to you know be on alert uh or know when an episode of ours goes live you can follow us on twitter at the box underscore podcast Uh, we are also on a couple of podcast streaming platforms namely stitcher spotify apple podcasts and podbean and our name is tell us what's in the box 